It's great to be with you today. Becky and I have been looking forward to being with you this morning. And the idea of freedom that that little video introduced us to is a significant concept we want to talk about today. And we're going to talk about the idea of freedom from guilt and shame. Let me take a moment and pray for us, and then we'll look into the God's Word. Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity as the people of God to think together about what your word has to say to us about freedom in our lives from the accusations of guilt and shame. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak powerfully to us, that your word would be, as it always is, the truth we need to hear, your spirit, our teacher, and would you change us, because that's what we long for you to do. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. On a beautiful summer day in June of 1971, I was 14 years old, and it was that summer that we were working on a project, and on that particular day, I had this project I was working on, and there was something I needed that was in the attic of our garage. Now, we had a detached garage in our house and an alley that, run, that ran behind, that, behind the house. And my dad was at work. My mom was busy. In fact, if I remember right, she was leading a Bible study in our living room. And I needed to get something from that attic. The problem is my mother's car was sitting in the garage. And I thought, you know what? If I try to get a ladder and get up and get that, I'll drop it. It'll fall on my mother's car and it'll, it'll, it'll be a mess. So my solution as a 14-year-old that had, over, over the last year or so, driven pickup trucks on my great-uncle's farm, and I thought, ah, I have the solution. I'll go in the house, get the key, and back my mother's car out of the garage. And then I'll get it down, I'll drive it in, I'll put her key back, and my mother will not know the difference. Well, I got in the car, and I turned it on, and I began to back up, and I was looking back because you don't want to back into something. And all of a sudden, I caught out of the corner of my eye the side of the garage door opening that seemed really close. And then I heard a scrape. And I pulled the car back in, and I got out, and I, I opened the door, and I went out, and there on the side of the car was about a two-inch long white mark from the paint on the, side of the, uh, on the side of the garage door opening. Now, I knew I was in deep trouble. Because, number one, I shouldn't have been driving my mother's car, backing it out of the garage. And number two, my dad loved his cars in really good shape, and I, was in, I, I knew I was going to catch it. So I, I pulled the car back in the garage, and I thought, what in the world am I going to do? I found something. I was able to get the paint off of the car, of that side of the car. There was no dent, thankfully. I thought, okay, the paint's gone. Then here's my problem. The car was dirty except one spot. That now what am I going to do? I'm going to be caught and in trouble. And so I devised a way to say, I went into my mother and I said, Mom, uh, your car's really dirty. Could I wash your car for you? I think your car needs to be washed. And so she said, that would be really nice. She had finished her Bible study. She backed her car to the garage. I washed her car. She put it back in. And for the rest of that summer... Every time my father walked over to get into, his car, into the driver's side of my mom's car, my heart's pounding. I'm going, he's going to see something. 
My, my dad had an eagle eye for all that stuff. He's going to see something. And, and, and as I was wrestling with that, two things hit me. Number one, what I did was wrong. And then what I started doing was saying, how could I be so stupid? Uh, what I did was wrong. How could I have been so foolish? How could I have done that? And I began to blame myself. You see, the two things that pound us often in life, guilt, I had done something wrong, and shame, how could I have been so foolish and stupid, were pounding on my soul. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, would you, to Genesis chapter 2. And grab the Bible in the, in the songbook rack in front of you if you want, that's fine. We're going to look at a little bit longer passage because I want to help you to see where did this guilt and shame come from? Where did it, where did it originate for us as human beings? Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, this is, what, this is what we read. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, excuse me, were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will, certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? 
And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And we'll stop there. We could go on and read. God, can, God from that point tells them what the results of their disobedience would be. But what I want you to see is the way God originally intended for his creation to be was that we would be who we are in his sight as obedient children of God without guilt and without shame. And as soon as they disobeyed, a couple of things happened. It's interesting that the, that the serpent said to the woman, you know, the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like God. You'll know good and evil. And, and really the issue of that moment was the man and the woman decided they wanted to be God. And, and so they, they disobeyed. They ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. And immediately, what did they know? They noticed they were naked. They, they had formerly not been ashamed. Now they were ashamed. They heard the voice of God coming down to walk amongst them in the cool of the day. And they hid because they were guilty. And they were ashamed. And that same sense of guilt and shame are things that we have wrestled with as, the hum as humanity from that day till today. I want to give you a little bit of sense of what we mean when we talk about guilt and shame. Guilt says this. Guilt says, I did something wrong. I go back to my illustration of back in my mom's car out of the garage. I was 14 years of age. I should not have been taking the car keys and backing my mom's car out. What I did was wrong. Was I guilty? Yes. I had done something wrong. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame, on the other hand, says, there's something wrong with me. I'm wrong. And when I found myself, as I, I, I backed my mom's car out, scraped the side, even though I got it cleaned up, and to the day my, father, my mother and father passed away, they never, they never asked me if I had scraped my mom's car up. Now, my dad was smart enough. He probably knew, but he was kind enough to not ask me. But there's this sense of what I did was wrong and the self-blaming that I did. How could I be so stupid? How could I have done that? That was a part of, it's not only what I did was wrong, who I am was wrong. You see, the challenges that we find, it's as Brown, Brown has said this, and that is that shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame says, I am bad. And guilt is, I did something bad. So how do we address that? I mean, if you're, if you're like me, I mean, just a part of just the, the human condition of where we live, that's, that's a part of the things we wrestle with in life because we are far from perfect. Now, what I want to help you to see today is that guilt can be helpful to move us toward repentance that leads to forgiveness, restoration, and freedom. Guilt is something that, to be honest with you, if you have no sense of guilt, or if we had no sense of guilt, then, I mean, that's what, that's what 
people that would be called psychopaths or sociopaths are people that do things that are terrible and feel no sense of guilt. So guilt is a good thing on one hand. There's sort of a biblical, honoring, God-honoring sense of guilt that says, wow, what I did was wrong. I need to acknowledge it. I need to repent of it so that God would forgive me so that I can have freedom. There's a sense of the positive of what comes alongside that. Shame, on the other hand, tells us we're unworthy, that we're unacceptable. It's not just that what I did was wrong, it's I'm unworthy, I'm unacceptable. Why would you want to spend any time with me? And in fact, shame drives us to hide so that nobody will see how bad we really are. You saw it in the text in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, right? In chapter 3, after they had disobeyed and they disobeyed God, and then they realized not only were they guilty for what they had done, but they were naked, they were ashamed. And when God came, they hid. Shame will drive us to hide. About... uh, About two years ago or so, almost three years ago now, I guess, Becky and I were with a group of leaders from across the United States. We have about 17 different regions within the, the church group that I work with, and we have the leaders from our 17 regions, and their spouses were together for a retreat. And at this retreat, Becky and I talked a lot just about our, our own life and ministry and just some of the things that we had learned and some of the challenges Challenges of of caring for people, challenges of trying to lead well. I call it just the load of leadership and challenges of how do you handle all those demands and time demands and all those things and the pressures of life. And we've been very honest and just upfront with this group of leaders and talking about how we can really continue to move, move forward in our lives in positive ways, even in the midst of the stress we feel in ministry and leadership. And after this retreat, a friend of mine who lives in Colorado said, hey, I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. And so just toward the end, we're getting ready to leave, and he and I grabbed a cup of coffee each. We sat in the, we sat in, uh, in the shade, and we were at a place called Glen Erie, which is this amazing conference center in, in Colorado Springs. And we're sitting there looking at this, this gorgeous mountain scenery, and he looked me right in the eyes. I mean, with with a look that kind of pierced my soul. He said this. He said, Kevin, you you don't know what drives you, do you? And then he paused. And he said, my friend, if you don't figure out what's driving you, it'll kill you. Now, that's enough to make anybody wake up, I think, I hope. And he said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you that you will find the thing that's driving and pressing you. It led me on an almost year-long search. A search through prayer, examining my own life, talking to people that knew me. It was during that year's period of time my father passed away, which led me to a lot of just internal reflection of my own life and my growing up days. And what I came to realize, friends, is that What was driving me was a sense of shame. 
and the busyness and the drivenness of my life, of working hard in ministry and doing things that I thought people would say, wow, God is just using you in your life. I'd have people in my, the churches that I served and the ministries that I would lead that would come to me and say, how do you do all of this? I mean, how do you keep, how do you keep all these things moving and all the energy you have and all the, the effort you give in ministry? And you know what I found? I found drivenness and busyness was my way to hide. That there was this sense that I was unworthy and unacceptable. See, I, I, I grew up in a home and I, my parents loved Jesus and I loved them so much. But there was this sense in the home that I grew up that the two worst things you could ever be called would be lazy and stupid. So I spent my life trying to make sure that no one would ever know or think that I was lazy or stupid. That's why it was work long hours and work really hard and never let anyone see you rest. And that's why there was this sense for me of even in school academically to press hard, to get great grades so that no one would ever think that somehow I was inadequate. And, and, and this sense of busyness and working and going so that no one would ever look and say he's lazy or stupid. And it was that sense of shame. In fact, it was how I knew that it was. And, and, and as I began to think about this, and, and my wife Becky's been so helpful to me in so many levels in this in my own life, there's self-talk within me. I don't know if you have that. You have self-talk where you kind of, you're talking to yourself about different things. And, and I'm a verbal processor, and so some of my self-talk is out loud. And uh, on occasion, sort of under my breath, I'll make comments like, Kevin, you idiot, how could you do that? How could you be so stupid? And Becky would look at me and she'd go, you're not an idiot and you're not stupid. And there's this sense that, that this load that I found myself carrying that drove me to hide, doing good things. The hiding wasn't going in a corner so nobody saw me. For me, the hiding was being busy, doing good things so people would not know what's really going on inside me. And what I needed was to open my heart that people could see inside me and love me for who I am. Flaws and all. How do we overcome this, this sense of guilt, this sense of shame? Let me start with guilt first. Can I start there? We can, God can overcome our guilt as we lean into God's mercy. And I want to define God's mercy just very simply for you. God's mercy is not getting what we deserve. As I've done things, as I do something that's wrong in my life, there are things that I deserve. The scriptures say the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. There's some things I deserve. Mercy says, no, you're not going to get what you deserve. You deserve that, but I'm not going to give it to you. 
as we lean into God's mercy, it allows us to, to begin to take some steps to overcome that guilt that can control us. I, I love what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. There's this sense of darkness and separation from God. But through the work of Christ, what do we have? We have redemption. He's, he's brought us back to be a part of his family. There's the sense of clarity of forgiveness of our sins. Now, I hope you still have your Bible in your hand because I want you to turn with me to a book in the New Testament, the book of 1 John. It's toward the very end, if you come toward the very end of your Bible the book of 1 John chapter 1. John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, writes this in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now that's the reality of, of life. Every one of us, there's a sense of, there are things of disobedience, not just what we have done, but a disobedient heart. But the next verse if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the mercy of God. What we deserve is death. He doesn't give it to us. Instead, he gives us forgiveness. He gives us life. And then he goes on to say, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Guilt is in the hands of God as the Spirit of God uses in a sense of, of godly guilt that says what you did is wrong. That guilt should lead us to confession of our sin, to agreeing with God that what we did is wrong, to seek his forgiveness and restoration and redemption, forgiveness. And there's freedom in that because we have fellowship again with God through the work of Jesus because of his mercy. He has not given us what we deserve. Well, how about shame? How does this, this whole idea of shame, how does that fit in? Well, we, we can overcome shame by leaning into God's grace, which is getting what we don't deserve. If God's mercy says, you deserve this, and I'm not going to give it to you. You deserve punishment. You deserve spiritual death. I'm not going to give that to you. God says, instead, I'm going, I, I will forgive you. That's mercy. God's grace says, you know, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. 
I love this text from Romans chapter 10, verse 11. And the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you wrestle with sense of inadequacy and unworthiness in your own life, I want you to let the truth of God's word just drive into your heart. Anyone who believes in him, being the Lord Jesus, will never be put to shame. Hope you have your Bible in your hand still. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. This has become one of my most reflected upon passages of Scripture in the last six months of my own life. I come back to this over and over and over again. The book of Ephesians is one of the letters in the New Testament. Let me read it for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Do you see that in verse 10? I love that. We're God's handiwork. This whole idea of shame that says you're unworthy, you're unacceptable. It's not just that you did something bad, you are bad. All of that in the face of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, we were at a place where we were disobedient and what we were deserving was the wrath of God Almighty. That's the reality of where we were in our lives. But what we read in verses 4 and 5 but because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. You see both those words in that verse. He's rich in mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And it's by his grace he's given us new life and salvation. We were dead, and to be honest with you, straightforward. Before trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, every human being is not spiritually sick. This text does not say, you were spiritually sick before you came to know Jesus. I need to be honest with you. We were spiritually dead before we came to know Jesus. 
And what I've learned is I see in this scripture passage, only God can make dead people alive. And he does that not because we can earn it. If you look at this text and you see in Ephesians chapter 2, we were raised up with Christ not because we could earn it. We're not good enough. We never could be. It's his grace that looked at me and said, Kevin, you're never going to work hard enough and you're never going to be smart enough that you could earn it yourself. So stop worrying about being lazy and stupid. I love you for who you are. I, died, I sent my son to die for you, for who you are that I could make you who are dead, alive, and give you life. It's like I sense God saying to me, Kevin, if I love you the way I made you, flawed as you are, I really want you to love yourself too. Here's what I want you to walk out of here with today. Friends, our guilt and our shame were nailed to the cross and the price was paid by Jesus. He took my guilt, the reality of the things that I had done wrong, and he took my shame, the way that I looked at myself and was ashamed of myself, and he took that and he nailed it, on the, nailed it to the cross when he died. In fact, if you still have your Bibles, if you just go to the right in your scriptures, just two more books over to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. This is what we read. In verse 15. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's incredible. That describes who Jesus is. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by the making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Go back over those last two verses again. Once you were alienated by God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, let's acknowledge it. Are we guilty? Yes. But now he's reconciled you. He's brought you back into right relationship by Christ's physical body through his death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You know, there's two types of accusation. There's external accusation, that's more guilt. 
That's kind of more guilt-driven, where it's like, oh, I did something wrong. Yes, it's accusation from the outside. There's internal accusation, that shame that says, I'm inadequate, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable. My friends, our forgiveness and our worthiness is found in Jesus alone. And it's an ongoing battle for your mind. I, I, I need to tell you, as I was prepping and preparing for this message, I battled with shame issues in my life more this week than I maybe have in six months. And I had to come back again that it's a battle for my mind. I can't live beyond what I believe. And I've had to come back and say, no, I am a child of God. Jesus loved me enough. He died for me. He died for me the way I am because he loved me so he could make me more than what I could ever be alone because of him. Because my forgiveness of my guilt and a sense of worthiness rather than shame is only found in Jesus. And my prayer for you today, I don't know what you're wrestling with. If there are issues of guilt, of things you've done, and you need to stop and confess that today to the living God and ask for his forgiveness so that you might find that forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation with him. Or maybe for you, it's like my big wrestle in life is with shame. And you need to come and to say, Lord Jesus, I am who I am in you and because of you. Not because of what I can do. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning that your word is absolutely crystal clear. That it is in the work of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel and what he did for us on that cross and dying and rising again from the dead. That our guilt is taken care of through forgiveness and our shame is put aside and our worthiness is found in him. Would you bring that home to our hearts today to your glory in Jesus name Amen